the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following is a conversation between Patrick Schmidt, co-founder and co-CEO of Free Will, and Denver Frederick, host of The Business of Giving, on AM 970 The Answer, WNYM, in New York City. There is a massive transfer of wealth occurring, some $35 trillion over the next 20 years, as the baby boomer generation passes on. Is there a way that more of this wealth can be directed to charitable causes and nonprofit organizations? Well, a company by the name of Free Will believes that there is and has created an easy and simple process that helps make it possible. And it's a pleasure to have with us tonight the co-founder and co-CEO of Free Will, Patrick Schmidt. Good evening, Patrick, and welcome to the Business of Giving. Good evening. Thank you for having me here. Share with listeners the idea behind Free Will and how you came up with that idea. Sure. Um, So Free Will at its core, has raised about $700 million for charity over the last few years. Actually, most of that's in the last 12 months, so that's been really exciting. And what we've realized is that that planned giving, these gifts in a will or a trust, are just orders of magnitude larger than any other type of giving. And so what we decided to do is really study out at Stanford University why people weren't making more planned gifts. We realized that people really struggle with estate planning, and then when they even get around to estate planning, no one's asking about charitable giving. So we made some tools that are free, warm, intuitive to help people do their estate planning. We actually nudge charitable giving in the process, and people give six times more when they use our tools compared to any other normal process. That's a pretty impressive opening, Patrick, I must say. Well, before you started this venture, you did a slew of research, both with nonprofit organizations and with baby boomers themselves. Let's start with nonprofits, and you studied and examined the planned giving offices at these organizations. What were some of your key takeaways? Well, I think there's two real challenges for planned giving office. Um, the first is that the data is so poor in planned giving. If you think about everything that's changed around direct mail and digital fundraising, which is more of my background, it's become a hard science, and you can really understand what's happening in real time. The challenge for organizations is that only 20 to 25% of people who make a gift in a will or a trust tell the organization. Mm-hmm. So you may send out a postcard and you only know if it works 35 years later. <laughs> um, so that's a huge challenge. Um, you know, the second is that it's, it's so, um, it's structural, right? I mean, many plan giving offices or teams live under major giving. Mm-hmm. And so they use exactly the same tools. We're going to go out, we're going to have breakfast or lunch, we're going to have a series of conversations, and then we're going to make an ask. Now, it's not a terrible model, but it's wholly incomplete. And what we've seen is that the same people that are making $20 annual checks can leave $100,000 bequests, or sometimes it's people that have never made any gift at all, who are really just savers, are leaving massive bequests. And uh, most organizations just tend to ignore them. Part of that's based on organizational design. Yeah. So what solutions would you recommend to these nonprofits to become more effective in their planned giving uh, department? So I think one thing that we highly recommend is that every person who's in digital fundraising or marketing or annual fund needs to get trained up in planned giving and really understand it. I mean, a typical planned gift is three times someone's total lifetime charitable giving. Mm -hmm. And so if you're ignoring that, frankly, you're not doing your job well enough. 
Um, the second piece is really investing in how do you make plan giving easier for folks? And then how do you do so in a way that's trackable so that you can really understand your audience and figure out what's working and what isn't? Has uh, uh, some of the changes in, in tax, uh, the recent tax reform, has that impacted plan giving in any way? The biggest shift is actually to the step before plan giving, mm-hmm. which is what, what are called qualified charitable distributions. These are gifts that are come out of your IRA. You're only eligible to do so if you're over 70 and a half this year. So it's roughly born before June 30th, 1949. Um, but for those folks, you know, Denver, we were talking earlier about the big drop in the number of people that are itemizing deductions, and especially if you're not working. But that shift has gone from about 24% to about 9% mm-hmm. of people who itemize deductions. The magic of a qualified charitable distribution from your IRA is it actually just lowers your overall income instead of raising deductions. So it's perfectly tax efficient. And frankly, if you're over 70 and a half, this is the way you should be giving. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You also um, interviewed a lot of baby boomers. What Mm -hmm. did you hear from them? Um, Baby boomers hate nothing more than estate planning. Yeah. And they avoid it. I mean, (laughs) it's scary, isn't it? It's terrifying. And people use the words like scary and complicated and expensive. They'll say things like, I'll do it next year, even Mm -hmm. though I said that last year. More than half of boomers don't have an estate plan. It's also true that more than half of parents don't have an estate plan, both of which are huge problems. And even those that do, they're usually typically out of date. Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, the kids are no longer minors. They've moved states. They've gotten remarried. All of these things. I mean, estate plans should be updated at least every five years, if not more often. And nobody's doing that. Yeah. Well, I I also think they just don't want to face their own mortality. Well, certainly. Death. You know, we don't want to use that word, but uh, it seems pretty immature not to. Right. I mean, it's a core human aversion. People don't want to think about their own mortality, and people have dealt with this differently for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really something you, you really want to do for your family and, and for the causes you love as well. Well, that's a good background. Uh, and therefore, what you've done, you've created this tool, this platform called Free Will. Tell us, Patrick, how does it work? What do you do when you go to the website? Uh, how complicated is it? And how long does it take? Great question. So we sought out to make something that was warm, intuitive and free to really take all the barriers we just talked about around estate planning. And about 65,000 people have done their estate plans through free will so far. These are people who are allocating their entire life savings for the most part. The way that free will works is it's a website. You can think about it as TurboTax for estate planning. Mm -hmm. You can use it to make a will online the same way you would a legal Zoom or a rocket lawyer. It's becoming incredibly prevalent. Um, By some estimates, the majority of estate planning is happening online these days. You can also use it to get all of your affairs in order and then what we call document your wishes before taking it to a nearby attorney. And if you have a more complicated estate, that makes a lot of sense. If you have property overseas, if you have kids with different spouses, um, if, even if you just have a very large estate, that's a great avenue for you as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what does it cost? Uh, so it's totally free for individuals. And we actually ran some experiments early on at Stanford to say, uh, you know, what's the difference between charging $100, which seems like a fair value for a full estate plan and charging zero, and 20 times more people will do it when it's free. <laughs> um, you mentioned earlier that people who are doing it in this fashion are giving six times more to charity than they would otherwise. Why is that the case? Are there pathways? Are there prompts? What do you do to get that kind of result? Yeah. One of the most interesting findings in our Stanford research that was surprising to us is how rare it was for anyone to even be prompted to think about charitable giving 
during the estate planning process. That's incredible. It's true of Rocket Lawyer and LegalZoom. It's also true of most attorneys. Mm -hmm. There's so many things happening at this moment. Who gets the stamp collection? Who might be the guardians for children? You know, what song are playing is playing at the funeral? All these things are top of mind, and so so charitable giving goes out the window. When you can ask about it and use what's called social proof, which is, you know, Denver, many of your friends or many Americans do this. Would you like to consider it? That giving goes up by a factor of three or four, mm-hmm. and actually the average gift doubles. Yeah, and so you see a dramatic impact. Really, you know, Americans are charitable people. Ninety percent of folks give somewhere every year, and so few people give in their wills or estates that it's largely a factor of process and not motivation. What's the average bequest uh, on free will? The average bequest is $82,000. Wow, that's right? impressive. These are the same people writing $20 checks to NPR or Sierra Club. Mm-hmm. It's not overwhelmingly wealthy. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about the nonprofits you partner with, uh, the process of getting them on board, and the mutual obligations that you have to one another. Sure. So we work with more than 190 nonprofits ranging from the United Way and the Red Cross all the way down to this lovely local dog shelter in California. Mm -hmm. And what we do with them is we create custom versions of the tools that they can then share with their own supporters. So their supporters get access to free tools that really help them with the core need. And then in those tools, when you get to the philanthropic prompt that I was speaking about earlier, it says, great, do you want to leave to the Red Cross or do you want to also type in your own organization you're free to leave to nobody at all. You're free to leave to multiple, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But it makes giving to the Red Cross extremely intuitive, and it makes these tools available to their donors. Mm-hmm. And so it's a huge win. Um, and we've seen, you know, as I mentioned, more than $700 million committed uh, through free will. That's incredible. So uh, if you're not a partner of free will, sure. then those charities will be eligible if the person who is filling it all out wants it to go to a particular charity, whether you have a relationship with them or not. Exactly. So there's no restrictions on whom you can give to. Anyone who's listening and needs one can go to freewill.com. They're free to select one of the charities there. They're free to type in their own church or synagogue or alma mater, um, whatever it may be. And we're thrilled to support the broad sector, even those we don't partner with. Mm-hmm. Well, Patrick, you have um, nothing but audacious goals. You're looking to raise a trillion dollars here in the next decade or so. $700 million is an awful lot of money. But, boy, you have a long, long way to go. What are some of your plans for getting there? Yeah. So we've really – we think we've just hit the tip of the iceberg uh, with – you know, 65,000 is a very large number of people. It's mm-hmm. also a very, very small percentage of the population. And $700 million is you know, pretty outstanding already I mean, for – Context: The entire Democratic field of the twenty plus candidates plus you know the other three hundred have raised two hundred fifty million dollars yeah. combined with mm-hmm. a massive spotlight, and so we think there's a huge opportunity across the U.S. with a great philanthropic uh, culture. And then, you know, two three years from now, we'd expect to be expanding to Western Europe, which has very similar demographics. Canada, Australia, we have people that we've talked to who are really interested in bringing it to Japan, which has a very you know quite a bit of an aging culture. China. Uh, just has a massive population, less of a culture of philanthropy, but that's something that can be brought along. Mm-hmm. So big effort. Um, but we have an amazing team, and we think it's quite possible. Yeah. If free will is of no cost to consumers, mm-hmm. and you're a for-profit company, mm-hmm. what is your business model, and how do you generate revenue? Sure. So what we've done is we've been able to partner with nonprofit organizations who pay us a flat annual subscription fee based on size of the organization for custom versions of the tools. Mm -hmm. And then what they're seeing is, in many cases, 100 to 1, or in some cases, 10,000 to 1 ROI. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's been thrilling for them. Most nonprofits are 
already investing in plan giving in some way. Oh, they are, yeah. And you know, sometimes that's in direct mail where you don't actually understand whether it's working. Um, sometimes it's in you know other you know, long term events. We've seen this as just incredibly efficacious, both for organizations that want to spin up a plan giving program. And for folks that want to accelerate a plan giving program on top of a few officers that they already have. Mm-hmm. So this is more or less a flat fee based on the size of the organization as opposed to the amount of money that they take in. That's correct. Mm-hmm. And w- what we realized is that we want to help people be wildly successful. And we don't want them to think, oh, I shouldn't. What if I'm too successful? I haven't budgeted for that. Yeah. yeah so that, now we can go all in. And that okay. also sometimes is against the culture of nonprofit organizations. Exactly. They have a hard time getting their arms around a percentage. Exactly. And it just, uh, you know, they got ethics and concerns and things of that sort, which I think are a little outdated myself, but they they still exist. Uh, You know, I mentioned in the opening that you are the co-founder and the co-CEO of Free Will with uh, one of your co-founders, Jen. Um, What are the advantages of an arrangement like that, and what are some of the difficulties you need to work around? Yeah, I think that co-CEOs can either be the best or worst idea you've had. (laughs) Yes. Um, I have been incredibly lucky with my co-founder, Jenny. Uh, Jenny is brilliant. Just to give you some very quick context on each of us, um, Jenny went to Harvard, top of her class in applied mathematics, worked in finance, helped start the Impact Investment Fund at Bain Capital, has some other startup experience. My background is totally different. Grew up on the East Coast, Jenny's Mm -hmm. West Coast, worked in nonprofits, ran email fundraising for President Obama, worked at change.org. We met out at Stanford and um, and clicked very quickly. We realized that we were totally different, but with very similar values. Mm-hmm. And that that's what's made it work. Um, the upside is that there are some things that only a CEO can do. And I don't think we can do twice as much. I think we can do three times as much yeah. because we only do the things we're really good at. Mm-hmm. And so you know, we have very few overlapping weaknesses, which is great. Um, we actually don't have that many overlapping strengths as well. So that's been excellent. Um, the things you have to do to make that work is have an incredible, cl- incredibly clear decision-making process. There is very little that we have to agree on, right? You don't want to operate on consensus. Instead, you want to make sure that you know, on these three types of decisions, Jenny's in charge. Yeah. And I'm going to give as much input as possible, and then on vice, vice versa as it happens. And so a high degree of trust, very clear decision-making processes, and a complementary skill set. If I was a co-CEO with someone like me, it wouldn't work. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, having that clear decision-making process, that will also give you speed. Speed. And things won't drag on and drag on and back and forth and and things of that sort. You know, everybody talks about starting a business while they're at school, and your particular case is when you were in business school at Stanford. It's always a very romantic notion, but sometimes it isn't all that romantic. What advice would you have for a young person, perhaps in college or in graduate school, thinking about starting uh, a business? Uh, What have you learned from that, and what would you like to pass on? That is a great question. I think a few things. One is... It's hard. And it, it makes it, you are constantly at a place, at a grad school, at a place like Stanford, the opportunity cost of your time is so high because mm-hmm. there's so many things you could be spending time on and choosing it to work on the social venture you have or the startup you have instead of going to see that speaker, going to spend time with amazing classmates is a really hard choice. The second is that it can also be uh, an incredible accelerant on your experience. And what I realized is that some of my classmates were bored out of their mind in accounting class, and I was desperate to learn it because we were going to go have to figure this out next week. Yeah, yeah. And when things are immediately applicable, at least for me, it made the learning so much faster. And it, it really honed the things I needed to learn and could go out and talk to the best professors, the smartest classmates, the right classes, and, and really sharpened my thinking on a lot of that. Um, and the last thing I'll say is 
sort of why not, right? In another world where you'd have to quit your job, the risks are much higher. Like we weren't otherwise going to be working during grad school. And so it was a great chance to take a really big bet on something that we thought could change the world or it could fall flat on its face. Yeah, and yeah. We're, we're glad how that worked out. But <laughs> even if it, it failed, we, it would have been a great experience. Right. It always makes sense when you do things on the side like that. Right. As opposed to, you know, cashing in all your chips and taking that big jump. Uh, this has got a nice little safety net uh, below it, which you have not had to avail yourself of. Talk a little bit about your corporate culture, the kind of company you've tried to build, and what makes Free Will such a great place to work. Yeah. We've got some really core company values that we focus on and talk about all the time. And let me highlight two of them. Um, the first is kindness, mm-hmm. which everyone would say is important, but few people focus on. And it's something we even screen for in hiring people. How do you do that? Um, anyone who's getting hired for any particular role, let's talk about an engineer, for example, we develop a scorecard on a bunch of key attributes. Some of them will be existing technical knowledge. Some of it will be overall acumen. Things like tenacity and kindness are there, and they're scored just as highly as technical acumen. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean you, you can't know how to code and come, but if you are not an exceptionally kind person, we probably shouldn't hire you. And we, we can you know, ask questions about that, talk about how they view their past experience, whether they blame other people or take responsibility when things didn't go well, how they talk about people that aren't in the room. Um, all those things really emphasize it. And then I think Jenny and I try to treat each other with extreme kindness, and that flows down. We also try to treat our partners and our users and even competitors. Um, we don't have that many competitors, but when we do, we try to treat them exceptionally kind as well. Yeah. And then the second is focus, right? As you have a very smart team that's growing quickly, we try to only work on one, two, or three things at a time and do them exceptionally well, which means that we actively choose to be bad at things, and that's okay, <laughs> right? Some, some people don't feel comfortable being bad at some components of a business or an organization. And you have to be if you're willing to make focus a priority. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think on both counts, I think that uh, it's probably easier to teach someone to code than it is to teach someone to be kind. And one of the things I really like what you just said about focus, too, it's a good way to avoid burnout. Mm-hmm. It's organizations who try to focus on too many things at once that just absolutely wear out the team. But if you're really disciplined and strict about it, people will be fresh and energized as opposed to just feeling completely underwater all the time. Let me close with this, Patrick. What challenges or problems have you encountered that you never envisioned when you first started Free Will? And conversely, what has been the most pleasant surprise for you? I think one of the biggest challenges that we didn't expect is that the hardest thing about running a company, especially one that's going somewhat well, is choosing what to say no to. We recently went through an exercise where our partners have been generally thrilled with free will. Mm -hmm. And especially as we started rolling out some new tools around qualified charitable distributions, they said, oh, great, what's next? We have this problem, this problem, this problem. We'd like you to solve them all for us. (laughs) And we'd love to solve all their problems. And we had to go through a, a really deep research process around whether or not to address donor advised funds or stock gifts next. Um, and then go tell people actually that we're doing nothing on donor advised funds for at least nine months, a year, maybe even two years, and really focus on helping stock giving as well. And so then having to go call people and say, thank you for asking for this thing and being willing to pay for it. We are not going to give it to you and we're not going to take your money for it. It was a really interesting challenge. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that's gone, you know, maybe I could have reasoned this from the onset, but has gone stunningly well is how. Um, 
incredibly joyful it is to work in the nonprofit community and specifically the plan giving subset of the nonprofit community. I mean, I guess it makes obvious sense that if you're doing plan giving for a conservation organization, you're probably not a jerk. But in aggregate, <laughs> we work with so many amazing, lovely people that I, you know, this was two weeks ago on the New York subway and someone just yelled at me. And I was like, I haven't been yelled at in seven months. This is incredible because both our team and most of our partners are just such amazing people um, across the board, right? The folks running animal shelters in the Northwest are different than the people running Christian foundations in Texas, mm-hmm. different than the colleges in Boston, but they're all just extraordinary folks. And it's been, um, it's been so nice to become their friends. Yeah. And it's been such a joy to be part of that landscape. Plan giving folks are a very interesting group of people, and somebody equated them once is that they're like the field goal kickers of a football team. They're not out there with the rest of the team. They're off on the field by themselves because nobody else in the organization understands anything that they do. But I think you've certainly made the point. They make a huge difference, perhaps the biggest difference in terms of the health of an organization. Well, Patrick Schmidt, the co-CEO of Freewell, I want to thank you so much for being here this evening. For those who want to use the site and learn more, tell us that website again. And for nonprofits who might want to take a look at becoming part of this venture, what do they need to do? So people who want to make an estate plan uh, for free and think about charitable giving, but also if they don't want to, totally fine. It's freewill.com, very easy. Um, Nonprofits can go to the same site, or you can also just email me. I'm patrick at freewill.com. Got to claim that email address early in the company's history, and so... Feel free to shoot me a note, and we'll get you set up with the right folks. One of the benefits of being a co-founder, no doubt about it. Well, thanks, you, Patrick. It was a real pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. It was great to be here. I'll be back with more of The Business of Giving right after this. The Business of Giving can be heard every Sunday evening between 6 and 7 p.m. Eastern on AM 970 The Answer in New York and on iHeartRadio. You can follow us at Biz of Give on Twitter and at Facebook.com slash Business of Giving. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.